Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today in Shap, best known to motorists as the high point on the M6 and best known to long distance walkers as a stopover on Alfred Wainwright's Coast to Coast Walk. And I'm here in the company of author, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Hello there, Dave. It's great to be back. Well, it is gloomy weather out there. We can barely see the fells around. There was an absolute downpour on the, on the way here, Mark. And this podcast has caused us some difficulties, hasn't it? We oh. have been here before. Yeah, we did. We came all geared up. We had our guests... We gathered in the car park, but unfortunately, although we're all geared to go, we knew that the weather forecast was actually going to get worse, not better. Whereas today, although it's drizzly a bit at the moment, the promise is for clearing weather. We have an interesting double storyline really today, Mark. We're talking about a very historic circular walk from here that um, one of our previous guests, one of our friends of the show, has uh, been doing some research in. But we're coupling that also with some grounded local knowledge from somebody who's lived here all their life. Can you just give us a brief introduction to both of our guests and what we're going to be doing today? Indeed. Our local expert, and a genuine expert she is, is Jean Scott-Smith, who's got family root connection with this place that goes back serious generations, as it were. And then we've got Alan Cleaver, who's been with us twice before. We did the Corpse Road, and then towards the end of last year, we went on some Beast Coast with him, and he's going to be looking at the postage round. So that'll be fascinating. We'll be going out into wild country with him. So the postage round, then. This is the postman's path that runs in a circuit uh, from here out onto the fells. And, and the story behind this, which he will recount and explain a little bit of, Mark, but he found an article in a, a local newspaper going back many, many years when a local journalist followed the postman from Shap. And where does this route go? Out to Shap Abbey, up to Swindale, to Trust Gap, and then we're cutting across the Rafflin Forest Bridge into Wetzledal and then back down and for listeners who don't know this neck of the woods, as well as, say, the central Lake District, let's be clear, this is wild, lonely country. I expect we'll end up using a compass because even if it's clear, finding what might be the true route will be probably a little bit more tricky. But uh, it's definitely country that you have to be competent in navigation for. And have a good pair of waterproof boots, I believe. I usually wear my gaiters when I'm on this sort of setting anyway. Right, so there we go. There's a flavour of what we're doing today. We're going to mix a little bit of Shap local history and heritage with this route that the postman used for many, many years to visit all these remote farmsteads and isolated dwellings around the valleys that lead towards Shap. So let's go now and meet Alan and Jean. We're in the midst of Shap now. A bit of drizzle has come over, but that won't last long. But I'm in the wonderful company of Dean Scott Smith. 
I believe you are a Shapite. I am indeed. I was born in Shap. I live in the house I was born in. My father's family have been in the Shap area for over 600 years. They lived in places like Wetsleddle and Swindale, where you'll be walking today, um, as well as in the village itself. Oh, that's what you call indigenous. Mm. And what kind of work have you been involved with? Well, I did shop working and catering and, and selling bathrooms and fireplaces to, before I retired. Oh, all right. But then I got nabbed as parish clerk. And you're also involved with dialect. Oh, yes, yes. I've been involved with the Dialect Society for well over 40 years and I've been on the committee all the time. I'm secretary at the moment. So what would you call this kind of weather? Uh, a bit dowly, a bit, a bit misly and dowly. Intriguing place, Shap. People know of it, association with the roads and so forth. Can you describe something about the place today? Yeah, well, it's still involved with the road and the railway, but it's become a little bit of a satellite now because after the coming of the M6 it's possible to live in Shap and work in places like Carlisle or Lancaster and it not being too onerous a, a drive. Uh, at one time, I mean, uh, there was quite a bit of employment in the village itself. Mm. Mm. What was its industries and so forth that made it tick? Right. Well, obviously there was always agriculture. That's the really ancient industry. But then there were industries that were related to the coaching trade mm -hmm. and passing trade coming through the village. So we had four coaching inns at one time. But then, of course, when the railway came, there was a lot of workers worked on the railway. But the main employer, up until relatively recently, was Shap Granite. And they quarried the pink decorative granite, uh, which is used for architectural purposes. Also a blue granite that was used for road surfacing and they also had a concrete works where they made pipes and flags and they had a lot of housing in Shap. So when I was going to school most of the other pupils that were at school with you, their dads and some of the mothers um, worked at the granite works. Well we walked a little bit further along the street past the famous Shap fish and chip shop Everybody knows about that, or if they don't, they should do. Uh, and we've come by the Lakes and Dales Cooperative, which is a, a very buzzing little groceries in the midst of the village. Everybody seems to congregate here, so I'm sure we will be overrun with cars in a minute or people coming out with their masks on hither and thither. And we're coming to the interesting building at this point, which is the post office. Just where we're standing, uh, this was the last proper post office we had in Shap. And right until it closed just a handful of years ago, it was a regional sorting office. So in actual fact, they sorted the mail here for the district. They had two walked routes, and one of them is the one you're taking today, which was 15 miles in length and took, took the route through by the Abbey and over by Talbot into Swindale and then back down through Wetsleddle. And they were still walking that until the early 70s. Crikey. The other one was up to uh, Hardendale and Oddendale to the east, which wasn't as long a route. It's over the limestone, an enchanting gentle That's route. That's right. Well, we are challenged by this route today. And uh, to achieve that, I welcome back to Country Stride our good friend, Alan Cleaver. Yes. Nice to see you again. Oh, is it? it was this time last year we did the Christmas one from yeah, St V's to Whitehaven. Oh, this is Something about you and freezing cold <laughs> weather and rain. 
I suppose you associate the postman with this time of year, don't you? You, you know, do, delivering rather. Christmas cards and all of that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, postman's paths. I mean, we're going to walk the postman's path south of Shap. Uh, was just a concept that I'd not come across until a couple of years ago. And I was talking to Tony Vox, at the uh, Colbeck uh, local historian. We were talking about my other favourite subject, of course, corpse roads. Uh, but then he said, oh, and that's the postman's path. Uh-huh. And I'd not heard of this before. Yes. And I said, what, what do you mean? And the postman's path was a path created as a shortcut by the postman because he couldn't be bothered to walk out onto the main road and round to the next farm. So he just cut across the field. And this became eventually an official footpath. Yes, indeed. So I, I rather like the idea, the romance associated with, I mean, you know, we're entering the age where the, the, you know, the post is disappearing in favour of email and text and Instagram and everything else. So I like the idea of rediscovering the roots of the old postman. They're strong connection with the place because they they were yes. so welcomed they were visiting every sort of farm every house en route and i mean i think particularly up to this time of the sort of pandemic and covid-19 when you think about it even during lockdown so many people the only person they saw the only person who would visit every day would be the postman and um, jean very kindly uh, got in touch with me and when i made it known i wanted to know more about postman's paths and she sent me a copy of the Penrith Herald from December the 29th 1956 right and in this feature the poor reporter goes on this sort of uh, what is it nine ten mile hike with the postman 15 15 now you tell me 15 mile hike around Shap um, and details the route completely. So we know the exact route, we know all the farmhouses uh, that they visit. So this poor reporter goes with Jim Eland, who was the postman at that time, and uh, trudges all the way around. So we're going to follow his route. We don't know the name of the reporter. This right. poor reporter got up at four in the morning to do this 15-mile hike in the middle of winter, and he doesn't even get a byline. <laughs> that was the Penrith Herald in 1956. <laughs> Only a humble what, writer. What, what you had to do to get a byline. <laughs> and I thought we'd start by posting a letter. So I've done a, a Percy Kelly-type oh. letter, because uh, Percy Kelly, the Cumbrian artist, of course, who used to do painted envelopes. Um, so I've done a, a, an envelope in the style of Percy Kelly will cross the road and we'll post this as the start of our route around Shap. Yes. I'm itching to go and do this posting now because it's very <laughs> symbolic uh, to this epic little outing we're having today uh, and we can sense we are postmans ourselves. I hope we'll get a welcome wherever we go. Indeed. Well, we've come off the edge of the road, at the edge of the village. We're looking back about a quarter of a mile. You can see the village. And we're flanked by lovely dry stone, limestone walls. And we're in a particular landscape here that takes us back, I don't know, 5,000 years, Jean? Bronze Age. Can you describe what you're looking back to, looking south from here? Yeah, looking south, we're looking across fields. And if you follow the line of some of the dry stone walls, you can actually see there's a big boulder in one field now that one's got carvings on it that's quite an important one yes. and then the one behind it is the best known which is the Goggleby stone and a lot of people know about that because it stands quite high they're just part of the avenue mm-hmm. which formed 
what is known as the Shap Stones. Mm-hmm. It's described as a serpent temple. And so it was something akin to Avebury, would you believe? Quite. And it had a stone circle south of the village, an avenue, another huge circle, then a continuing avenue. These stones are part of that second avenue, and it culminated in the ball barrow on Skella Hill. Which is where we're standing now, yeah, in effect. behind us, yeah. And in the wall behind us, you can see a set of probably five, six stones, large ones, set into the base of the wall. Yeah. They played a part in that tumulus. We believe that they would have formed, in effect, a stone circle that surrounded the burial mound. So that would be a, a very holy and venerated site. It would indeed, yes. Yeah, it's intriguing, yeah. isn't it? Yes. We're really at the seat of a community here that predates all that we can comprehend. We actually know where the, some of the settlements were these people lived in. There was one up on the high side of Wetstadl, up near the Blue Quarry, um, where oh. you can still see the, ring, the hut circles. Wow, isn't that And we believe that these were the people that, that were involved with uh, this setting. making this. Yeah. What is really ironic is you're looking at some of the ancient ancient monuments and in behind you've got the kilns for Tata steel belching smoke out on, into the landscape so it's really ancient and modern is this that was a lovely stroll down on that concrete way winding down into the valley bottom at the bottom of the slope it actually goes to a bridge and we're standing by this bridge which has timber parapets to it, uh, on the midst of it, or the humpback. But the really interesting thing is both the river itself it goes over and the feature on the other side. Can you describe, first of all, the river? What is the river? Well, the river's the River Lowther. It rises up in Moorsdale and runs down Wet Sleddle and then makes its way through to join the Eamont at Broomcastle. And the name means? It means foaming river, Ludraha which is a Scandinavian word. A bit like uh, Lodore in it Borodale. It is, similar, similar origin, yeah. And at this spot here, you've got this unusual well, sheep wash, I think you would describe Yes, that. it is a sheep wash, and it's a double-walled track, if you like, mm-hmm. where they drove the sheep down, and then they get onto a stone, and they've no option but to jump into the river. And it's quite a deep pool under the, under the bridge. Poor so thing. the sheep would then swim their way up onto the shallower oh. bit, but it was a, an easy way of washing the sheep. Before you had all, these, all the sheep dips and, uh, oh. and the police attending sheep dipping and this sort of thing. We the were boys. always warned that there were whirlpools under these bridges where these big deep pools were and that it would suck you down. But that was a thing that people used to tell children and it was really to keep them out of where they could have got into trouble because yeah, it was deep. And uh, we're coming within the shadow now of the abbey, the great tower that's remaining. Shap Abbey, can you give us a little bit of a feel for what it was? Yes, um, Shap Abbey was actually founded here in 1199 by an order called the Premonstratensians, or White Canons. And they had been founded in a place called Premontre in France. Oh, right. Um, they liked secluded valleys, but this abbey had been originally founded at a place called Preston in Kendal, which we now know as Preston Patrick. Mm -hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, they decided that they would move to Sharp. And the land was granted by a man called Thomas Gospatrick. And uh, they were here from that point until the uh, dissolution in January of 1540. The last abbey in England to be built and the last to be dissolved. Can you describe the setting of the abbey then? Yes. 
very secluded valley, well surrounded. As we saw as we walked down, we were almost here before we actually got the first glimpse at the top of the tower. And so it was well, well secluded, beautifully um, situated right by the river. Beautifully and, yeah. constructed as well. It's remarkable well, that the tower yeah. survived to the extent yeah, it well, has. Yeah, well, that was one of the last structures to be built. We think about 1500, so on about 40 years before. As a, a working monastery, how many monks would be there? Well, they varied between about 12 and 15. There wasn't very, very, but there would be lay workers as well, of course, because they were working within the community as well. Right, how intriguing. Um, the canons that were here were actually priest canons. It wasn't a closed order. Mm -hmm. And they ran a sheep farm. And in their records, they were exporting it all over, out of the country. And uh, even in the 1950s, Shap Abbey Farm was the largest sheep farm in the county of Westmoreland. How fascinating. So it still continues to have a huge acreage of sheep. So it was a very large estate. The grant of lands initially for the abbey were roughly uh, about a mile diameter around the abbey. But then there were grants given in Swindale, which you'll be visiting, and in Westmoreland for grazing and running sheep and, and horses and all sorts of things and, and the rights of Turbury and that right, sort of thing. That's, mm. that's for Pete. On the grant of lands, when you look at the place names that are mentioned, they're pure Norse, oh. absolutely wonderful. I mean, there's places like uh, Thingaved, yeah. which is now marked on the maps as Thiefstead, yeah. but it was where they had the, the thing. The thing, which is interesting, because on the Isle of Man, the Tingwald. Tingwald, yes. Tingwald is the parliament, which is the oldest parliament in the world. That's right. Uh, so you've got the example of Ting. It was a judiciary setup where people could air their grievances and have decisions made. Right. And it would be outdoor. And, uh, it would be outdoors on the whole. Well, there yeah. You are. And Tailbert, where you're going, was actually um, tile booth, and it was where they they pitched their tents or the temporary shelters for the thing. And there are places like Binbarb, which is now Butebarrow, and lots and lots of, um, of place names that have got Scandinavian origins. The Viking early settlers have survived in their names. They have. Well, the sun's beaming now, which is just what we need. We're just about to head off into the wilds, but this isn't the last we'll see of you. At the tail end of the walk, you're going to join us in Wet Saddle. I hope you have a nice cup of tea while we're struggling through the mire. Well, I would think I'll probably have had lunch by the time <laughs> I meet you again. <laughs> I'm going else? to just read you something. And it's oh, an old dialect point, and it's about Shapabi when it was uh, going to have some excavation done in 1864. Right. My dinner each day for a week had ever begin. For just for ten minutes, if I could have seen... Thee and thee prime, as though Jans munna been, when thy matin bells rang their musical clang, as monks with mould candles down alley did gang, and lights like kaleidoscopes danced through the glass as they marched in full order to midnight mass. Magic. Well, we're looking forward to seeing you again. And Alan, we're on, heading for the high hills. I'll get the map out and the compass and uh, we'll, uh, we'll head off. Well, we're homing in on Tailbutt Farm. It's been a lovely little stroll, actually. Uh, it started off being a bit boggy. <laughs> Just you, a little. Yeah, you did hint to that. But then we hit the Waterworks Concrete Road, and then we've come up 
on this road that leads to Talbot. And it's got a great view. Wow, I've never seen this view before from this perspective. You can see the very top of High Street. Yeah. And Kidster Pike, the definite peak. And the sun is beaming on Welter Crags on High Rays. And then the horizon through by Weather Hill to the sunlit Lodepot Hill. So that's the High Street range, as it were. And in the foreground is this farm, Talbot, which Jean mentioned. You yes, remember that? Yes, Talbot. Yes, uh, I can't uh, do it with her accent. But, magic, uh, magic. Yeah. A Midlands version isn't the same. <laughs> anyway, this is a strategic point, not just for the postage route. Yes, yes. The, well, it was the postage route, but also an old corpse road. Oh, right. Uh, I mean, we don't know the precise route of the corpse road. We know it came from Mardale to Shap. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially, corpse roads were used in medieval times to take the dead bodies from uh, people dying in remote parishes. How dare they? How dare they? Uh, so thoughtless. from Mudder to the Mother Church, which was at Shap, right. uh, because it was only at the Mother Church that they had the licence uh, for burial because um, they made money from it. So they weren't going to give that up easily. So they had to bring the bodies over to Shap. And uh, this was uh, in use, I think, up until about the mid-19th century, is the last record of the person brought over. And then, of course, uh, they decided to flood Mardale, and it's now the uh, reservoir. But the corpse road still survives, not only in memory, but is on the OS map and is walked by many people. This is the route they would have taken, certainly. And it would take you into the village of Keld, which is just over the hill before going into Shap. It's a long walk on the corpse road, certainly doing it from the reservoir up onto the fell and over into Swindale is a lovely walk and then right. have your bait turn round and go back but um, for right. the more fitter you can carry on to Shap. Just coming into Talbot and you still see the shepherd uh, busy with his sheep just beyond the farm buildings. Uh, it's mentioned in the post is chronicle that you've got. Uh, yes, he, he describes arriving at uh, Talbot with, to the farm of Mr and Mrs Harrison in those days. But he met there Miss Mary Burgess who was over 60 years old but young in heart mm-hmm. and uh, she was born in Langwathby but she moved here 21 years ago and he visited. And in all that time She'd only been to Shap once in 21 years. She had no reason to go, you know. No, well, why? She'd got the farm here. She had to work the farm. Uh, So the postman was her real only sort of communication uh, as to what was going on. Well, I say in the world. I mean, for her, the world outside was Shap and that was it. In those days, had travelling grocers and things? Well, that's it. A lot of peddlers, a lot of travelling salesmen would have called at farms and instead of going to shops. Yeah. Uh, I think we're headed back that way in, in many ways, since the death of the high street. Yes. But uh, the footpath that still exists goes straight through the farm, which can be a bit unnerving for people, but I think they're friendly. Yeah. And then uh, when you get to the opposite side of the farm, you'll see the signpost out the other end, and yeah. that takes us down into Swindale. Well, I will relish that. A lovely walk over past the redundant barn, came through a little hand gate there, and suddenly before us, we've got this majestic view looking to Sellside Pike, which is lit up with sunlight, Gowder Crag in dark shadow to the left. This is Swindale, and honestly, Alan, this is absolutely heavenly. Stunning, isn't it? I mean, you just stood at the top of the hill here, looking down into the valley. The first time I came here, it just gobsmacking. As I was driving home on Radio 3, there were 
doing a sermon as Radio 3 do. <laughs> and they were talking about the passage, uh, truly the Lord lived in this place. Mm. And I thought that's the perfect caption for this because if the Lord was going to live anywhere, it would be in that down. little white farmhouse down there, wouldn't yes, it? You know, he would. Absolutely stunning. On the north side of the valley is native woodland amongst the bracken and it leads up onto the fell behind it, which is part of Hareshaw. To the north, you can just see Helton, the village of, uh, in the Lowther Valley, with Huscar Hill behind it. But really, our attention is into the biting wind, the westerly wind that's coming across from the direction of Selside Pike. Um, but you see the postage route, and you've got the corpse road all sort of coalescing in this one little valley. Yeah, and I mean, most people walk down the bottom of the valley, so they miss out on this, this superb view, which is a shame. But it can't have been a bad job to be the postman walking down here and down into the valley every day or three days a week or whatever he was doing. Yeah, and, the, uh... God, the God was on his side. <laughs> and the beck itself, it's so sinuous. As they say, it's really wiggly. <laughs> well, they're redoing this at the moment, but they at the far end of the valley to, to put the wiggles back in, and they straightened it out in the 50s and 60s and of course they've now realised that that just means it floods everywhere so we'll probably see or hear it later on there's a bit of work going on at the top end of the valley where they're they're putting the squiggles back in. Now we're on a postage route but there is a sort of a heritage of them that covers Britain. Yeah I mean I mentioned Tony Vox at Colbeck mentioned about Poston's Pass and I I hadn't realised Poston's Pass were a thing so I, I googled it and researched and I found out that there's a number of places in Britain that have got postman's paths and they promote them as such and they talk about the the postman who used to walk them and uh, they were essentially usually paths created by the postman or used regularly by the postman so they got that that name one of the best ones i've come across is at uh, renegale renegidale Apologies to the people of North Harris, off the coast of Scotland, for the pronunciation, which is probably the most famous one. If you Google Postman's Pass, that's the one that comes up at the top. And it's a a walk which is about six kilometres long. The postman used to do it three times a week up until about the 1970s. He's still alive, I think, uh, Kenny McKay. There's a nice video interview with him on YouTube. But they finally built a road. Uh, Essentially what happened is that the central post office realised that poor old Mr McKay was doing all this journey and said, we're going to buy you a van. (laughs) And he said, oh, that's very kind of you. He says, "Um, the trouble is there isn't actually a road. (laughs) So they then built a road. So he was sort of not made redundant, but he was retired. So um, the the path that he walked is a coastal path, gorgeous. So not as nice as here, but gorgeous. Of course. So um, they started promoting this as the postman's path in memory of him and his work and how he kept the the small community of Tarbot, which is where he used to take the mail. And it was, you know, they'd take prescriptions and medicine. And uh, So we've gone from Talbot to Tarbot now, <laughs> that's pretty good, I like that. And this path in North Harris attracts 10,000 visitors every year. So there's a number of counties around Britain that have posters. Devon, again, um, got a number of tourist trails. People go to Devon just to do the postman's path. And I think, I think Cumbria needs to jump on this bandwagon. It's certainly damp up here, Alan, but it was down in the valley bottom and uh, wisely, when we came down to that gate, 
uh, in the deer fencing, we uh, veered up to the left, yeah. caned height again by a swear gill, and we got onto the ridge, and it's damp, but it's a fascinating ridge. I love it up here. It's got all those wonderful views of uh, Brandstree and Southside Pike from where I am. We can see the cairn on it, Kidster Pike and High Rays and so on. But this actual ridge, this is Ralphland Forest. Oh, right, okay. R-A-L-F-Land. It's got lots of little knobbly bits on it, hasn't it? And they've got such lovely names, Not many trees they? for not, a forest. No, not many trees for a forest. It's, of course, it's a hunting forest. Oh, right. But the, the names are magical. There's Langhow Pike, a Beastman's Crag. We're just coming on to Glade Howe. It means the red kite, the hill of the red kite. So birds of prey are very much part of this landscape. But we're actually hit on now the postman route. We've found yes. it a little dip in the ridge. We've had a bit of lunch, and he would, the postman would have had lunch. He, uh, he stopped for lunch at um, Swindale Foot Farm, which was uh, just at the bottom of the valley. Um, and that, that was quite luxurious for a postman. You know, he was fed, fed and watered by the uh, farmer uh, every day that he was doing the walk. He's unusual in the sense that this is a circular route because we'll end up back at Shap. Mm. Most postmen did a linear route. So if you can imagine, he'd normally have gone along the, like, the bottom of a valley. And um, the, what happened is that they'd, they'd finish their morning route at about lunchtime and they would stop sometimes at a farm, sometimes at a house or lodgings and have a rest, uh, but more frequently at what were known as postman's huts. Oh, yeah. Which were uh, wrought iron little huts, like gardening sheds. Mm -hmm. There'd be a pot-bellied stove in there. You might meet with a couple of other postmen coming from other routes, and they'd sit there and have their lunch. Sadly, most of those postman huts have, have sort of been lost or uh, disappeared. It would be nice to, you know, find some of those, but um, there are still the occasional photographs of them. I did see one 30-odd years ago, Bewcastle, a wooden one. Yeah. So they were rare even then, I would imagine. They were just, in a sense, temporary working sheds, so nobody saw them as any historical value. Mm, quite. But I, I tend to think, I could do it with that shower of rain we had. It would yes. have been nice to have been huddled round a pot-bellied stove and, uh, in a frozen sun. But if um, our postman didn't have to go on to Mosdale Cottage yeah. at the end, which is now a, a bothy, um, it was only lived in for six months of the year, so if he didn't have any post to deliver there, he could shortcut across the fell top, which is what we're doing now. So he came up by Galder Crag mm -hmm. from that uh, Swindale Foot Farm, and he'd cross this, and, it, and in all weathers. And uh, he says how he would leave staffs in the ground oh, yes. uh, so that he could see the next day, which stick. was the driest route he created, to walk. He, he uh, created his sticks path. Yes, yes. Yeah. So uh, he would mark out a route. Fairly certain that's precisely why this is still marked as a footpath mm. on the Val, because there's no other reason why this anyway. footpath should be here. And this is a postman's path in the true sense that it's a shortcut away mm. from what would have been the, the bottom of the valley and the fell road and all of that. It's a tough old job and these men, they worked all day doing that, but invariably they had other capacities and other jobs they could do. Well, that's right. I mean, the pay wasn't brilliant. And um, they got to the sort of lunchtime when the postman's hut and they've got two hours to rest because what they're going to do in the afternoon is go back over exactly the same route and collect the replies 
from the post in the morning. So people would get their post in the morning, write a reply and give it to the postman when he came back in the afternoon. So they had two hours to kill and most of them had jobs such as like as, as a cobbler so that the village would know that they could go to the postman's hut at lunchtime and leave their shoes and pick them up the next day and he'd sit there and repair them. The Greystoke postman was one of those. Uh, Geordie Taylor was a, a character living in Greystoke up until 1960, doing the rounds around Greystoke, had a cobbler's shed in the village and would do those jobs. Um, he was also a, a poet. The idea of a postman poet was a romantic sort of Victorian term. There were a number of postmen who spent their leisure time writing poetry. Uh, Geordie Taylor at Greystoke was inspired by the landscape, um, by the birds and the wildlife that he saw around him. And he wrote poems based on that. And there's a very famous one down in Devon who was a postman poet. Uh, he gained some national fame. Uh, I like his story as well because when the postman came back into the village in the afternoon, they would ring a bell or sound a horn or blow a whistle to let people know that they were there to collect the post. And the one in Devon rang a bell. And um, when he died and was buried, you can still go to the local graveyard and there on his gravestone, cut into the gravestone, is his bell. He was and, a dead ringer. And he's a dead ringer. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. <laughs> and you can ring the bell still and, right. and hear the, yes. uh, the sound of that. So down at um, Bowness, uh, there's Postman's Knot, and that got its name from the Kendall Postman who would come over that way to Bowness. And when he reached that knot, uh, that rocky outcrop, uh, he would blow his horn, and the people in Bowness would know that the postman was on his way, and they would get their, their replies, their letters ready for him. Uh, so the name Postman's Knot stuck. He had his regular postman patter. Well, we, we need to mention Postman Pat. Don't All right, we? we'll bring him as well then. Thank you for that awful introduction <laughs> to it. Um, Cumbria's most famous postman is, of course, Postman Pat, who was created by the author John Cunliffe, became a very famous children's book and children's TV show, and a film even. He was writing this down while he was in Kendall. Based it, he said, on the valley at... Um, Long Sleddle. Long Sleddle, thank you, my memory's going. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in fact, at the start of Postman Pat, they show his van going over the bridge at Long Sleddle. And Sad you, Gill. Yeah, when you see that, you think, oh, yes, I know where that is. So Cumbria's got the most famous postman in the world, surely. We found, Leslie and I have, have found in research already, about six or seven postman's paths from Lawton, Greystoke, uh, Colbeck, places down in the south of the county. It would be very easy to come up with a sort of network of postman's paths which celebrate the fantastic job that these men did and do, mm, still do today, yes. and tremendously tough conditions, and bringing us the good news of Christmas cards and birthday cards and all of that, really. We have a post lady, uh, Caroline, when we first came to where we are, we had Jim Warwick. In yeah. other words, you can always remember your postman. Well, I'd say that because I worked for, during the 2012 Olympics, I worked down in London for a while doing shift work. And I mentioned on the news desk there that my postman, Bob, you know, leaves parcels for me at the local cafe because yeah. he knows that's how I'm coming. And they were astonished. They said, you know the name of your postman? <laughs> yes. And you think, God, I've suddenly become rural. I'm suddenly, <laughs> yes, I'm suddenly the village yokel, Absolutely. you know. But of course, they, they didn't in London. 
London. They're one of the characters of the village, like the vicar, like the village doctor. You know, the postman is one of those iconic uh, people. And, uh, well, we'd like to celebrate them. And, oh, uh, we do. And Jim Eland, who walked this one. And, Absolutely. Uh, you know, you, you, hats you... off to him. It's a tough walk. Well done, Jim. Uh, well, we'd better carry on to um, Uncle Monty's cottage. That's we? where we're heading. Yeah, it's over that way somewhere. Yes. Wow, that was a fascinating little interlude. Managed to find our way back onto the Posey route because it, it's so vague up there now, but uh, we got back onto it, came through a gate and followed a wall down. We come over a little gateway down by the wall and we come to Opsedal Hall. We've gone on holiday by mistake. Yeah, we've done that. I think that. is the phrase, uh, the famous a... quote you're looking for there. Uh, yes, this is the famous Uncle Monty's Cottage from Withnail and I, a classic uh, movie with Richard E. Grant, Richard Griffiths and Paul McCann. Wonderful performances by all. <laughs> uh, lovely overlap from our last episode. <laughs> they've shown the film here, I think, uh, once or twice as a sort of yeah. open-air event. <laughs> they certainly play on the bleakness, don't they, in that, uh, in that movie? Well, Sleddle Hall, I ought to point out what it looks like, because the new owner, Tim Ellis, has done a stunning job, quite frankly, to revive it and restored it to its authentic life when it was a working farm. It's whitewashed on the south side, and he's restored the roofs, which is very good, and the chimneys and the barns, creating a courtyard with lovely little sheds each will have had its purpose in its working lifetime for horses and ponies or a few cattle. Really tidy little space, very snug, perched on a hillside, on a shelf, right at the head of the valley. There's no farms above here. Uh, and the view, well, you can look to the southeast and you look over Wetzleddle Reservoir. And in the distance, I'm looking to the Howgills and Malastang Edge and Nine Standards Rig. So if you know your views, it's all there. Wild Boar Fell even. So it's a great prospect. I've got a quote from um, Richard Griffith so, uh, in the film, which I think might be appropriate, uh, when they're lost on the fells, and he says, come on lads, let's get home. The sky's beginning to bruise. Night must fall and we shall be forced to camp. So we don't want to camp, we need to get home. And that sky's looking a bit bruised. And we've got Jean waiting for us. Well, uh, I hope so. That's a lovely route down there from Treadle Hall, past the Grange. And we've come down onto a tarmac road, which has brought us down to a Victorian letterbox, VR. The postman will have come here on his round. But we've joined up with Gene Scott Smith again, which is marvellous. And you can remember this valley in family context from before the reservoir itself. Oh, absolutely, yes. Uh, and I had, my dad was born just down the road from here, uh, just by the bridge. Uh, but in... It would be the early 60s, probably about 61 or thereabouts. Dad took me and we walked round the valley and visited all the farmhouses. Of course, it was a local man. And everybody said, oh, come in, have a cup of tea. Mm -hmm. We were about awash with tea by the time we got home. <laughs> but 
what a precious memory it is because a lot of those farms were demolished when they built the dam. And, uh, and there's not many people, except people that were living in the valley, that would have that sort of memory. Can you remember what the valley was like before the Yeah, dam? it was wide, mm-hmm. a wide, a wide, a shallow valley in a way. Mm. And the bottom part of the valley was mainly quite, quite wet ground. Mm. And the farms tended to grow... Uh, their hay on the higher ground and that sort of thing. They had a few milk cows and sheep mainly. And when was the dam built? The dam was built in the 1960s. It was completed in 1966, in actual fact. Uh, and it was to supplement Hawes Water? Yeah, it's, it was a Manchester corporation that built that in the same way as Hawes Water. And, of course, the locals didn't have the say like they didn't in Hawes Water because it was Lowther Estates. And, and the deal was done with the estate. In Horsewater too, not many of the farms were actually owned by the families. There were, there were rented tenants, farms, a lot yeah. of them tenant farms. Yes. Yeah. So it was depopulated. We're dealing with the postage route, but it's also on a... Uh, and there is another historic route that comes through this valley. Yes, that's right. Um, this road out from Kendal is m- mentioned in the grant of lands to Shap Abbey. Because it says, from the ford at Carlworth, which is Keld, and so ascending the Langshebeck, which is Thornship Gill, to the road which comes from Kendal, where it runs out of Sleddle from Moresdale. And that was an existing road in 1199. Fascinating. Now, we also know that it's part of a great drove road that ran all the way from Ravenglass via... Hard Knot and through by Ambleside, uh, Troutbeck, Kentmere, Long Sleddle, into Wet Sleddle. And then, of course, it was later used as Quarry Road for the quarry yeah. up in Mosdale where they were cutting slate. Yes, and mm. of course, over ahead of Long Sleddle is a big quarry. Yeah, that's right. Rengill. But would bring, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's mm. the history of that road. Fascinating, isn't mm. it? Mm. Now, you've also got a bit more history here because you were pointing out a clump of trees by a pylon yeah. ahead of us. It's on, on a bit of high ground. It's known as Shapthorn. And it was used in ancient times as a waymark. Of mm. course, th- there weren't signposts and people that were travelling. If there's something on high ground to aim for... But we believe that there's at least 12 routes come into that point. And you can see right down the Loon Valley, up Wet Sleddle, you can see up to Shapfell and away across towards Ottendale and down the line of the avenue. So it's it's a very, very good viewpoint. It's a, what's Fantastic. up there now? What's, uh... Just, well, there's a burial mound yeah. in amongst the trees and uh, the trees. It was originally a thorn tree. Right. Well, thorn trees actually, even when they haven't any foliage on in the winter, are quite dense trees. Yeah. Mm. So they're still visible, even when mm. they've lost the leaves. Uh, but now it's 16 sycamores, which have been obviously repl- planted to replace yeah. at some point. We'll go down the road a little bit more, down to the mill, and have a little talk down there. Hmm. Yeah. Mike's going to run me down in the car. Well, Jean has brought us down to the river Lowther again. Parted company with you earlier on by the Lowther at Shab Abbey. And you brought us down here to what you call, I believe, the Jaws of Long Sleddle? Or Lo- the Jaws, Jaws of-, of Sleddle. Get it right. There was a mill here. Yes. The mill was actually originally a corn mill. Well, everybody tended to use the generic term corn for oats or barley. Yes. And there was a water mill here. It was called Crags Mill. Yes. And 
it was actually in the house there my dad was born. Oh, and uh, his his youngest brother was the last person to live in the house before it was demolished. Mm. Now, it was fed by uh, a mill race that came out of Sleddle Park. Mm -hmm. the, the mill pond's still there and the race came down and, and turned the wheel. That building was swept away at the same time as the dam was built and so yeah, on? Yeah, just before, in the early 60s, yes, that's right. Sham has undergone lots of changes over the years. It has. Well, I think the first big change that came to Shap was the coming of the railway in 1846. That's a thought. And uh, it only took two and a half years to build that railway uh, with a lot of manpower, horses and, horses and carts. And actually it cost one, what was it, £1,250,000 to build that section of railway to Carlisle. And it cost roughly that per mile when they put the M6 through in sections. Frightening, um, which, frightening. With, with modern machinery. So actually the railway had a bigger effect in a way than the motorway because it affected the coaching trade and it affected the droving trade because then it was easier you could move cattle in cattle trucks on the railway. Mm. Um, people were travelling on the railway not using coaches. And so you find in the shop records if you've a man who in one of the church registers perhaps has a child baptised and he's described as an ostler at one of the coaching inns. A subsequent child, post-railway, he'll be described as a porter or a, a worker on the on railway. The railway. Mm. There was a station, presumably. There was a station, yes, it, there was. A very nice station. Uh, and uh, when did that close? 1968. The right. same day as Tebow closed. I see. Thanks to Dr Beeching. The route through by Shap was particularly special because Joseph Locke, who designed it, had the courage to actually d take a cutting through on Shapfell instead of building a tunnel. And uh, we have an Avis memorial in the churchyard to the men that were killed. It was a magnificent feat of engineering, really. So, so uh, we're going Shap to the motorway. Yeah. That yes. opened in 1970. Yep. So throughout the 60s, we had a lot of navvies around Shap because you'd got itinerant workers that had come to work on the Sleddle Dam and at the same time you had the ones that were working on the railway and there were these like, like temporary villages of caravans, yes. um, you know, housing these people and the school had to put an extra couple of uh, terrapin huts in as classrooms to accommodate the children because there were families that come with some of the men that were working, of course. Fabulous. It made it very quiet through the village, the road, done. initially. And one of the things that you noticed in Shap when I was growing up, if it was very quiet, it used to wake you up at night because you had constant traffic all day, all night. And that was usually signified that it had snowed and everything had come to a standstill going over Shap Fell. Yes. But of course, when they opened the motorway, that was in the summer. And it was waking people up because it was quiet, you know. <laughs> and if you could think of a few things that really have changed in your lifetime that mm. really impacted on your thinking of the place? Yeah, well, we have a lack of public transport now. We have, like, community bus that runs three times a week when we used to have one every hour in each direction every day. Um, the Shap Granite Company, the concrete works is closed, um, although the, the pink quarry is operating again now it was closed for a lot of years um, there are less sh shops in the village as well and so you haven't got the workforce in the village now that you used to have and that's impacted on a few things 
Shap is unusual. There are around the county a few outdoor swimming pools. I know mm. there's one at Lazenby, I can think of. Askham. Askham is one. But there's a great one at Shap. Yes, they advertise themselves as the highest open air swimming pool in the country. <laughs> uh, sadly, we've been, they've been closed this year. Yeah. Um, but it was opened in the 1980s. Yeah. It's quite popular. Yes. You know, it's a heated outdoor swimming pool. Would you pool. believe it? But when I was growing up, if you wanted to go, you, came, you got, went into the becks. Yes, And indeed. they were icy. Some of the lads used to be naughty and build dams with sods and, and, and make deeper places in some of the little gills and that. Yeah. And then you used to find all your swimming stuff was full of mud. <laughs> because there's a great pool underneath that bridge at Shab Abbey, wasn't there? There's another one under it. And there's one under the jaws of Sleddle as well. Yeah, well, that's right, yes. Got to that magical moment. We have quick-fire questions. Oh, gosh. <laughs> OK, what was your first Lakeland memory? Horse water at the yeah. age of about four. Uh, my grandfather, who lived with us, was a great fisherman, and his friend, his best friend, was a man who had been born up in Horse water, and they both had fishing rights on the new reservoir because they'd had them on the old lake, and they were allowed to keep them for their lifetime. It used to be a case, and Mum would used to say, "Put put your strong shoes on. We're going up Maddle." And so I can remember going up at maybe about four. And wow. the ladies used to go for a walk and the men went fishing. Wow, so that's lovely. probably... On a boat, they were on boats, presumably. No, no. Oh, on the shore. Off the shore. Yeah. They were fly fishermen. Trout and Trout, like right. That. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what would you be your perfect Lakeland day? Perfect Lakeland day? Oh. Just going and sitting somewhere really quiet with a nice view, really. Mm. And there's so many places to choose from, you know. Quite often, uh, it's nice just to walk up the field behind my house yes. and sit on a big stone and just look across at these these eastern fells. Have you a favourite lake in the Lake District? Horsewater, although it's a reservoir now, but it was a natural lake. The natural horsewater, beautiful lake, almost in two halves with a, a delta at Meesant and just a lovely community and we've so many stories about that. Oh. And even though it's a reservoir now, it still retains, well, the fells and that are the same. Another question. Have you got a favourite food that you love that's distinctive to the area? Mm. Aye, a bit of rum butter or a good tatey pot. Tatey pot, there you go. With a bit of black pudding in it, made with herbic mutton. <laughs> Have you a favourite fell? Top of Shap Fell, actually. There you are. No, I know you can go in the cab, but I mean, when you're on the top of Shap Fell, you can see right down to Morecambe Bay. And it's great. And right across to the Pennines. Do you, do you remember the Leyland clock? Yes, I do, and I know where it's at. Yes, yes. yes. In fact, I was talking to a, a, a man called Huck yes. uh, up at Talbot. Yes. Off, off mic. And he'll be related to the lady that used to wind it up. Absolutely, yes. He was oh, yes, me I know her. I know her, yes. Yes. If you were Prime Minister for, for a day <laughs> and you were going to make some kind of change to Cumbria's welfare of the landscape and communities of Cumbria, what would you want to enact? I think I'd shut myself in a cupboard for a start-off. But anyway, um, no, I think they forget that the North exists and we don't get half the, the benefits that we ought to get. Because, I mean, it's a very, very wonderful part of the world and there's all the industry on the West Coast that doesn't... You know, it's sort of almost distanced from everything else. Mm. Yeah. yeah. OK, so looking really into the distance, 
really well, in the right distance. Right, yeah, that's in fact that's the very place yeah. when a few friends gather and want to scatter your ashes if that's the way you mm. want. Is there somewhere you'd like your ashes to be scattered or your remains? Well, I'd like to be buried in the churchyard, a chap, with my ancestors. Mm. Well, there you are. That's rounded that off wonderfully. You're a shapite. Is that what you call yourself? Shapite, yes, or a shap shoe duck. Shap where the shoe ducks were down in needles and more brackens with a real bar. <laughs> there you are, listeners. Now you know. It's been a special pleasure to be with you, Jean. You are an absolute genius. And we're saying farewell also at this point at the jaws of Sleddle to Alan, Alan Cleaver, who's done us proud on the postal route. Uh, it's I been think a pleasure. It's been a nice, nice day. Yeah. And lovely to hear Jean's stories and, uh, oh. and and some grist to the mill because uh, yes. we can waffle on for hours, but Jean's oh. got some actual hard facts yes, which yes. Uh, makes it good. Yeah, big, bigger and uh, have <laughs> Grist to the mill. Big and have That's it. Yeah. Look forward to seeing you again on another occasion. I hope so, too. Yeah. Journey's end, back at the car park beside the bowling green in Shap. And night is falling, Mark, but we've got back with a little bit of daylight. I was amazed by that. I was thinking we were going to be stranded in some sort of way. My head torch was poised. Was it? You're well prepared. It, well, in a sense, but uh, my wife insisted on, make sure you got a light. But um, we did a fabulous walk yeah. uh, and we've learned a lot. Jean and Alan are gold dust. Yes, I second all of that. Swindale, what a fabulous valley. The way we came upon it was absolutely the right way to do it. That's the perfect introduction, isn't it? Yeah, by Talbot. It's like a picture of what Lakeland would have been like about 100 years ago, isn't it? It has that feel to it. A lot of wooded valley sides, which are very unusual, actually, now in the lakes. A lot of scrub there, but also there's a lot of... Dales-style field barns. And a lovely feature, uh, they're often referred to as liaths. Mm. So you see a, a valley that has sustained a character. And hats off to the postie who did that walk however many days a week it was, three, six, we don't quite know for, for certain, but... Oh dear, I mean, in a winter's blowing a gale, it would have been horrific. I think a lot of it was down to the relationship he had with the farmers. Mm. He knew that the next farm would welcome him yeah. and he would get a little bit of comfort from being there and looking forward to meeting the next farm again. Because we had that. We only briefly spoke to one farmer on our route. We didn't yeah. actually do it on mic, but we spoke to Mr Harrison at Tailbutt and it was lovely. You can see that genuine continuity in relationship that's there to this day. Yes. Uh, usual housekeeping... We are on Facebook and Twitter. Please do follow us. You can find photos uh, and maps and Mark's lovely linescapes there. Uh, Twitter, Facebook. At CountryStride1. Please do get in contact with us. We love hearing from you. And you can email us via the website www.countrystride.co.uk where you can find all previous episodes of which there are... No, 42 now. This is the 33rd. 43, yeah. crikey. There we go. Mark's tallying there, 43. Other than that, it's yes, goodbye from Shap on this uh, biting cold December evening. And we'll see you next time.